Welcome to this episode of the This Is Believe One podcast. I am your host, James Mistrucci. Uh, I'm joined by Jordan Cohen as we're talking Browns again. There's been so much Browns-related content coming out uh, this past week, mainly from one from one uh, outlet, but we're going to get into that. But how are you doing today, Jordan? I am doing really well. It, it does – I mentioned this last time too, last week, but it, it's starting to feel like we're getting into football season, which is mm-hmm. really exciting. Yeah, especially I'm doing great, especially when they come out with lists and stuff and we can get talking about that in a little bit. But, you know, it it really gets gets everything going, gets you like football season's coming. It's coming. Yeah. And like, even if I disagree with the list, like completely, which I'm not saying I do or I don't, but I do. Um, But uh, like, it's just amazing that like, it's just fun, right? It's like I, I disagree completely, but I'm thinking about football. Yeah, you know, it just kind of gets you that that little taste because you know it's still yeah. it's still the summer. Football's still a little bit away away. Uh, NBA finals are coming up. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs are you know going on. Baseball yeah. season's in the middle of the thing. Just that little taste of football, just kind of a little sprinkle. Like, yeah. hey, yeah, remember football? We're still here. Right, you know <laughs> it's coming. It's 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 like all right, all right. Keep it in the back of my mind, but it's coming. Yeah, and you know we're we're gonna start off with. Uh, well, two of two of the things we're going to be discussing, I guess, you know what? All three of them are going to be related to pro football focus in one way or another. But we'll start off with the most egregious uh, list here, and that was the best offensive play callers, uh, according to Eric Eager at Pro Football Focus. And whew, this list is certainly something. And uh, I went off on a long, lengthy article about breaking this down. <laughs> and why it's Which wrong. Which anybody that's listening to this podcast should read because it was really, honestly, really, really great. Well, thank you. <laughs> but I, I was looking at this. My, first thing that caught my eye was Matt LaFleur being number one. I'm like, okay, we're, we're starting off crazy. Where are we going now? <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, like, I don't get... Here's my thing with Matt LaFleur. Could he be a very good offensive play caller? Yes, of course he could be a really good offensive play caller. Could he also have the best quarterback of a generation on his team and that makes his plays look better? Yes. And mm-hmm. where I refer to this is the PFF Forecast podcast, which, like, to be fair, does do a job. They defend this, and mm-hmm. they, they acknowledge the criticisms of it. And with LaFleur, they make these two arguments. One is that the past few years, Aaron Rodgers has been, like, a slightly above average quarterback, but nothing beyond that. Mm-hmm. And second, they also do acknowledge that like with these really great quarterbacks, they have a bigger say in the offense than we're able to measure, right? Like they do play con, we just have no way of measuring that. But like to me then it's kind of like, well, okay. Conceivably, hear me out. Isn't it possible that like Aaron Rodgers, who, by the way, they went 13-3 and with the exact same combo last year, Mm -hmm. who was average last year, may have been learning an offense, and this year, like, he mastered it, and maybe the year before that, he had a terrible head coach in Mike McCarthy, at least for the team at that time, Mm -hmm. and was pretty average because the team just sucked, and, like, there was tension and everything, and that this year, everything was kind of just calmer. I mean, like, to me, that doesn't mean Matt LaFleur is a good coach. It means, like, circumstance turned to Aaron Rodgers being able to really perform last year. Now, if if Jordan Love starts for them this year yeah. and like they go 10 and 6, 11 and 5, yeah. And with a good offense and I, I, props to Matt LaFleur, he's a better coordinator than I thought. Mm-hmm. But like 
there's just also an element of confidence here. Like, could LaFleur be the best offensive play caller in the NFL? I guess. But, like, how confident in that are you? Less than 1%. I, I very, yeah. Like, I, I really – like, I, I don't believe this is the case. But I would be more confident in saying somebody like Bill Belichick is the best defensive coordinator in football despite his past few – poor defensive seasons mm-hmm. than I am saying Matt LaFleur is the best offensive coordinator because Bill Belichick's team with really crap talent. Mm-hmm. Um, where like LaFleur had Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. And, and, and arguably the best receiver in the NFL and Devonte Adams, mm-hmm. Aaron Jones is a really good running back. Uh, their left tackle, the guy with the long name, um, it's going to hit me in a second, but he's also really, really good. Like that's a really good offense. I mean, they're, they're really good. And the, the one thing to always take away from teams like that, and this is throwback a little bit, uh, David Bakhtiari is their left tackle. Yeah, um, Bakhtiari, he's really good. But it's it's something that I always take it back to back in the day when it was Peyton Manning with the Colts. Okay? Yeah, Adam Gase. It, the, the offense, uh, before, before, the, before the Broncos, oh, but back with the Colts. But yeah. it, it, was, it was Manning with that was running the offense and the offensive coordinator had his job in, in name only. Okay. It, he was just, he was there. He was a person, but the person calling the place is Peyton Manning. It, the, the, we all know this. And so when it comes down to players of that caliber or of that, you know, tier, those elite guys. So someone like a Brady, someone like a Rogers, someone like a Peyton Manning, you have to realize, at least from my perspective, that there's a very good chance that the reason why this offense works is because of that quarterback and a lot of all the changes they're making at the line of scrimmage and little adjustments and hot routes and audibles. Yeah, well, and this is, and we can loop this in, I don't know, but like, so they don't rank Kyle Shanahan in the top six or seven, I think. I think he's after that. Um, and the they talk about this on the podcast a lot and i have a lot of issues with this but the basic idea is well the problem with shanahan is he runs the ball too much and he doesn't go for it enough on fourth down the floor runs the same like the floor's offense is a dumbed down version of shanahan's offense mm-hmm. it's the same like the floor learned under well i think he learned under mcveigh but like who learned under shanahan and it's the same wide zone scheme, but it's not like what Stefanski does, with like the nuanced, like running type. Like it is all wide zone, mm-hmm. all play action. Like, isn't it conceivably possible that if you gave Shanahan Aaron Rodgers last year, that's the best offensive team of all time? Yes. Like it, to me, it's just as it, I don't think that would have happened, but it's just as conceivable as the floor being the best offensive play caller in the NFL last year. I, I think it just ha- has to do with you know, LeFleur having Rodgers and Shanahan having Jimmy G. Well, if that. <laughs> I mean, I mean LeFleur is able to, to pass more where Shanahan doesn't have that luxury. Right, right. Well, and like this gets like, it's the same reason they didn't have Stefanski high, right? Because Stefanski runs too much. It's like, well, if you gave Stefanski Aaron Rodgers, I guarantee you we'd be passing the ball a hell of a lot more and Kareem Hunt would probably be on another team. Yeah, and Nick Chubb wouldn't even sniff being a, a, an NFL rushing yards leader. Okay, no, he would. He would be a very. Just... He'd be very effective as a runner, but he would not even be close to the rushing yard totals he's put up in this these early parts of his career. Right, right, because like I think CFF has a fair point. 
Uh, passing, generally speaking, you get more yards per pass than you do per run. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's rocket science. Um, if you have a phenomenal quarterback with a decent group of receivers, odds are you are probably going to want to pass the ball more. Yes. But, but I mean, at Aaron Rodgers' level last year, there was only two other quarterbacks in the NFL that even came close to that at any point last season. Mm-hmm. Uh, three, I guess, if you count Russell Wilson in the first half. It, the, every other team doesn't have that, right? Mm-hmm. And so, so evaluating, like, it's hard to evaluate that, right? Like, how much credit do you give to Rodgers? How much credit do you give to Tom Brady? How much credit do you give to Pat Mahomes? Like, that's fair. Um, and I, you point to this point in your article, like, the reason you know Andy Reid's good isn't because what he did last year. Mm-hmm. It's because what he's done with, like, terrible quarterbacks. Yeah. That, that, like, he and Pat Mahomes just make each other substantially better, but they're both – they would be outstanding without each other, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we have over two decades of data of Andy Reid being uh, the head coach slash, slash offensive play caller, and he's put out phenomenal high-powered offenses – basically every time right so right. we we know he's a good a, a great excellent all-time play caller Lafleur, yeah not so much yeah right i mean listen could the floor be a very good play caller? i i think that's possible yeah uh he's the best play caller in the nfl like better than and again what pff what they said on the forecast podcast is that what they're saying not they're not saying the floor is the best play caller in the nfl they're saying last year he was the best mm-hmm I just don't, or he was the best at getting the most out of the talent at his disposal. I just don't, like, I mean, even looking at this list, I, I think Dable, like, Josh Allen, like, I know you were higher on him than I was coming mm-hmm. out, but, like, two years ago, Josh Allen was a good quarterback. He wasn't a great quarterback. Mm-hmm. Last year, he was phenomenal. Like, yeah. if you ask me to pick a quarterback to build my team around for the next 20 years, I'm picking Pat Mahomes. Number two is probably Josh Allen. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Dable gets credit there. Like, Dable gets credit there because Josh Allen improved significantly. Yes, Uh, absolutely, especially considering how raw he was coming in and how you knew he was a project from the moment that they drafted him, where, hey, this is going to take a minute, but he's got the tools. We just got to refine him, harness him, make sure he gets the most out of his skill set, and that's what they've done. Yeah, and, like, and again, like, Andy Reid, like, I would take a lot of, like, if you asked me for the next 20 years, I'd have the same offensive coordinator, and that they wouldn't die or, like, no, like, how, like, they would be good. They would be them for 20 mm-hmm. years. I am ranking Dable. I am ranking Reed. I am ranking uh, Dable, Reed, probably Shanahan, Stefanski, McVay. Yeah. All just straight ahead off the top of my head over the floor. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Straight up. Like, no question to me, those guys. And then, like, even guys like Byron Leftwich and Joe Brady who are on their list, I, I think you could – Byron Leftwich is hard because a um, he has that what's his name that Tom oh, yeah, shoot I, I he's a pretty I, good quarterback. I, I think he's been around for a while. I, I think yeah, he I has think some hardware. Good. I'm not sure though. Yeah, yeah, he has that. He has that guy uh, on his team. <laughs> and then he like the head coach he works under is one of the best offensive play calling head coaches in the past twenty years. Yeah. So like it's hard for me to say Byron Leftwich like I would take and like. I don't buy the Joe Brady hype as Ugh. much of, as a lot of people. I think he does. He's a great floor raiser from his play calling last year. Like I have friends that are really big Panthers fans. So I watch a lot of Panthers. Yeah, he's a floor raiser for mm. sure. He's a floor raiser. I, 
he does not feel like a ceiling coach to me. Okay. Like, he seems like a guy you bring in when you're rebuilding to call your offensive plays, um, to get your team to, like, a good level, and then eventually you replace him with somebody else. They're kind of in that in that zone in their team building process. So, so I guess no, he, he, he works out perfectly, perfectly fine. I mean, you bring Sam Darnold into the mix. You know how I, I don't really like Sam Darnold all that much. So this will be kind of a challenge for Joe Brady to see just how good of a play caller and coach that he is, or, you know, what he's able to do for Carolina. But I, I think the, the biggest challenge he'll have was to actually make Sam Darnold not suck, okay? Because right. he's he's terrible. <laughs> I mean, I, I was lower on Sam Darnold than any other quarterback in the NFL or in that, in that draft. Like, I, I, and I've said this on here before. I, like, to me, my number one was, I, I think I was, like, a number one Baker fan. Yeah. Uh, number two was Josh Allen. Number three was Lamar Jackson. And then who else went? Uh, the Josh Rosen. Rosen was four. Darnold was five for me. I really, really did not like Sam Darnold. He had like none of his college numbers suggested a good NFL quarterback. And like everybody's like, well, oh, watch him play. But like if I'm watching for Moxie, I, pretty much every other one of those quarterbacks I'd rather have anyways. Mm-hmm. So I never got the Darnold hype. Um, so yeah, I agree. I think Brady has a big challenge on his hand next year. Challenge. I. I don't know that Darnold ends the season as their starter. To be I, honest I, with you. I, I agree with you because I, I don't know what their direction is in Carolina. Uh, I, I definitely feel they'll be in the market for a quarterback next draft because I mean they're they're taking the gamble on Darnold. You know what? And, you know what? Good for them. They're a team kind of. They're not going to win their division. That's very obvious. Okay, <laughs> it's a smart game. They're not gonna. They're not gonna probably sniff the playoffs. So right. You take a gamble on a quarterback another team has ruined, essentially, the Jets. They have a talent for doing that. Um, and see if you can unlock something or you know, get something that Adam Gase and his inability to do anything competently was not able to do. Yeah. Well, and, like, I think what – I think it's a smart gamble, not because I think Darnold will be a great quarterback, but I think what could happen is Darnold has a good enough year where they go – uh, six and eleven or seven and ten. That is so weird to say. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and like plays well enough, you give him a second contract because okay, we got talent around this guy, good, but not because you want him to be like your future quarterback because he's under contract. Then the year after he has a good year with good talent, you trade him mm-hmm. for value. Yeah, right. Like that's what you want. That's the move. I think it's a smart move. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. They traded almost nothing to get him. Like yeah, and everybody was saying like, oh, well, they gave up some good chunks for Sam Darnold, but like. To me, that's a risk you take when you're a rebuilding team. Wait, what did what did they give up for Darnold again? Um, I, I remember there was like a debate on if it was too much. Um, I think hold it was like a third on. round pick. Uh, it's 2021 sixth round pick and second and fourth in 2022. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, I th- get, that's that's I get. okay. Like. Uh, it, here's the reality. If Darnold looks good, you re-sign him, you're going to trade him for substantially more than that. Mm-hmm. You are. Or or if he looks really good, which I don't think I'm, but if he looks really, really good, then you'll be laughing at the Jets. Right? Yeah. Like, I, I, I just, I don't, you, if, 
And I think Brady's great for that. I really do think Brady's going to make Darnold look like a feasible quarterback that probably gets traded in two years when they draft somebody. Um, but like, I, to rank him as the fifth best offensive coordinator in football, like what? Even last year, like PFF always says correctly that 17 games is not a lot of data to go off of, mm-hmm. right? That it, there's a lot of variance in 17 games, which is why things like one score games are unsticky, which is like PFF's point in valuing teams and offensive play callers that win by more than one score. But like fair, but then how are we ranking Joe Brady off one year of play calling first, right? If there's so much variance there, then how is he the pick? It, uh, it, it doesn't make sense. It, it really doesn't. And, and to touch on something uh, just for a second, uh, Byron Leftwich, um, he kind of suffers from a similar issue, in my opinion, uh, to Matt LaFleur or anyone who's coached Peyton Manning in their career. Their offense is loaded. That's just stupid loaded, okay? It's like playing with, like, the Pro Bowl roster in Madden against, uh, like, I don't know, the expansion Browns in 99 on easy. Okay, you're gonna win by like a right. hundred every time. You you, right. you just well, you, you you press go and you sit there and be like, all right, let's do this, and you don't have to do anything. Don't forget the season either. Um, what, the first half of the season they looked awful, mm-hmm. and then it seems like Brady took more control of the offense, and then they looked really good. And listen, I get it. That's good coaching to let your best player kind of take a bigger role. That's good coaching. I'm not, but like, do we know that was Leftwich or Arians? And like. I'm not saying anything left, which is bad, because I think we do have like a track record of, record of him the year before looking pretty good as a play caller when dealing yeah. with Jameis. Uh, but I just I to rank him sixth to me, like, if you want to rank him in the top half, I'm good with that. I think mm-hmm. that makes perfect. Even even the floor too, like the floor less so to me, but like still, like if you want to rank them in the top half, like I hear your argument. I hear your argument how both of them could be these great guys. Yeah, but we just don't have evidence. Like. And if that's your argument, then I'm fine not ranking Stefanski in the top five. I disagree with you, but like if you're talking just based on a decent chunk of data, who are the best? Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, to me, beyond before anybody else, there's those three. Yeah, I, and then even somebody like um, McDaniel's, who I I don't necessarily know is that great, but like you have enough data to know he's a good coordinator. Yes. You really do. So they, they need to be clear about what they're doing here. They do. And and, and because of of uh, of the outlet, Pro Football Focus, they aren't. And that seems to be something that's just their brand when it comes to stuff like this. It's just well, not being like, clear. We were, talking about, we, were, we were talking about this pre-show. Their defensive rankings are pretty on point. Like I, I don't disagree with any of them, nor the places they ranked any of them. One, Staley. Two, Martindale. Three Keith Butler, four Josh Boyer, five Todd Bowles, six Leslie Frazier. Like, that is a top six that makes, in that order, perfect sense to me. Yeah, not Um, mad at that list at all. And I I think there's a reason for that, right? Which is Mm -hmm. that what they value, like, defense, there's, every team runs one of the same three schemes outside of Brandon Staley, who rightfully is ranked first because he is a whiz kid. Yeah. Um, But every other team runs one of three schemes. And, I feel like they did a pretty good job. Like, it's pretty simple. There's no, there, there's very little you can do, right? It's basically looking at, like, okay, what would you expect an offense to gain on these plays versus what they gain? And that's fine. It makes sense to me. The offensive play calling list, it's very clear that the agenda is, well, 
you want like off yards per player. They do estimated points added, which is ultimately like yards per play and estimated points added aren't perfectly correlated, but they're correlated enough. Yeah. Um, where it's like, well, yeah, because then teams that pass more are going to be coordinators that pass more are going to be rank higher. And then you can say, well, Lafleur ran the setup play action a lot, a lot. Well, yeah, and because Aaron Rodgers was his quarterback, there was like two guys in the box. So Aaron Jones just like had open space to run into. And then he passed a lot because he had Aaron Rodgers. And I mean, I just, I, this, I honestly, I don't understand how Stefanski wins off or wins head coach of the year and basically off his offensive play calling and is not top six because like, let's be clear this offensive line. I know they added Jed Wills and, uh, um uh what's it? uh Conklin. But Conklin, thank you. The your the summer between, but like it was like the worst offensive line in football. Stefanski comes in, it's all of a sudden the best offensive line in football, and the offense that ranks like twenty eighth and twenty ninth in the NFL all of a sudden becomes like second or third. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't know, like to me that speaks well of Stefanski. That's something that McVeigh's done, that Shanahan's done. Um, that Reed does like it's his job because it is his job that Dable's done like those guys to me using that metric and maybe my maybe their metrics better than mine but to me that's how I would measure it like what does this offense look without this look like without this guy I mean we have a pretty decent idea of what the Browns offense looks without Kevin Stefanski we still have to hear before the offense really didn't change that much except for the addition of Wills and Conklin and it was a goddamn dumpster fire the year before yeah, and they also had OBJ for an entire year the year before. Mm-hmm. So like, I, and I, they passed more, I, and they and they passed more. Yeah, go right. So, yeah, shocked, just stunned. We got to do another pot on how that works. Um, so, <laughs> um, and Stefanski comes in, and all of a sudden the offense looks better. I'm putting my money on that's Kevin Stefanski. Yeah. That's what it is. It's it's Kevin Stefanski. Like, oh, make... Well, yeah, because of guess who, Kevin Stefanski. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mentioned this in my article, but it it seems like there was some bias against teams that run the ball in this list, and it sounds like from what you said from the the pod you listened to, it basically confirms that almost with with teams like Cleveland. Baltimore and Tennessee being the three highest rushing teams and all three of the offensive coordinators or play callers not appearing on this list. It's kind of like, uh, what are you doing? Well, and then Shanahan and McVay, who also are like these kind of run first guys that Mm -hmm. do really creative stuff, but the run first guys like also not on the list. Like this list, it's not, it is who is the best, play caller using passes to outperform expectations yeah that's basically what this list should be called and, and it's call it that that's a really informative list yes it is if you just call it play caller then no i mean again this is just downplaying of the importance of the running game that a lot of people try to do it's it's based off of this belief that running backs don't matter and I disagree with that statement. I think that statement should be adjusted. Specific running backs don't matter, but the running game does matter. Yeah, and I mean, like, I, I 
I, I have an article I wrote about this. I, I think it is based uh, this kind of like theory. I, I, do I agree that uh, you could basically replace any running back with another one and get the same production? No, but I think the running backs you couldn't do it with. There's probably three, four, five of them in the NFL. Yeah. Um, I think otherwise it's pretty re- uh, replaceable position. Mm-hmm. But the idea that the running game doesn't matter for places like PFF is based on, I mean, a variety of metrics, but that are all like these estimated points added me- metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, and the metrics are not mathematically bad, but there's a mathematical bias. And like I've done, like I do statistics for my job, mm-hmm. like on a daily basis, I do analytics. Um, not necessarily for sports. I do it for other things, but like it, it's translatable. Mm-hmm. And when I've done the same thing, but like at a level, I would do it when I'm advising a corporation or a policy group, I get very different results. And it's because they're, they don't, they have not decided to incorporate context. So it's, they have estimated points added and that's what it looks like. Right. And estimated points added basically is uh, down distance situation yards game. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, or yard slash yards gain translates to points gain, right? It's like if you run it at fir- first and goal on the one, that's a really high estimated points out of play. Yes. If you run it at first and 10 on the 20, it's very low, right? Mm-hmm. Makes sense, right? Your odds are first and 10 on the 20, not going to be that valuable of a play in a vacuum. But the problem is they end it in a vacuum. And like I've done stuff and I've published on this at Real Browns fans. Like when you look at how various plays affect future plays, so when I looked at like what has the biggest impact on play action success, it is clearly wide zone runs. Yes. Uh, over a three-year period, the, the teams that ran wide zones more after they ran wide zones performed better on play action. It, it, it's almost like it, it matters. <laughs> right. And like the idea that gap scheme isn't really mattering as much with play action is actually true. And there's a reason for that, which is the gap scheme and play action look very different at the snap the line Mm -hmm. of scrimmage uh wide zone and play action don't that makes sense my gut is gap scheme and regular pass plays not play action plays there's probably a very similar relationship yeah Uh, i I would agree and and so it's just about like that context and i don't know to me i don't understand and like even there are plenty of like warren sharp talks about how he says like the running game may not matter the way we always thought it mattered Mm -hmm. but like if you look at the statistics, there is a time where it does matter. And there's a way it matters. And we have no data to suggest what a team would look like when they don't run. We've seen teams that don't run and only have like average to above average quarterbacks, and the results are not good. Mm-hmm. So I think the running game matters. It may just matter in a way that's a little bit more complicated. Like the more you run, the better your pass outcomes are. Yeah. Uh, but that doesn't mean it doesn't matter. And it doesn't, like, I'm sorry, no, like, I, you could tell me that that Eric Ear and PFF's model is perfect. I am, and again, I'm a stats guy. I am still trusting Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Kevin Stefanski to call plays over PFF guys. Same. <laughs> I, I I mean, that's it's. If I had to choose between one or the other, I'm choosing the guys that are currently calling plays in the NFL right now and doing it really, really well. <laughs> Yeah. Well, like we talked about, like there are play callers that like get play calling jobs and are awful, right? Like that honestly, 
an educated fan may have been able to call plays at better level. I mean, uh, we've had a few in Cleveland the past decade or so. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're attracted to come to Cleveland. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 like, generally speaking, like, an NFL head coach or an NFL offensive coordinator mm-hmm. has done it for a lot of years. They spend... I, and listen, I, I think there's a criticism of PFF that, like, they don't watch football. I, I think that's wrong. Like, most of these guys' job is caring about the NFL. I just think the outlook they have on it is very specific. Um, and it's not wrong when you take them at their terms, but I don't think their terms are universally correct. That's fair. That's fair. I, I don't think they're universally correct. I think they're – I think if you were telling me if you have a stud quarterback, mm-hmm. is PFF correct? I think you're they're pretty close. Mm-hmm. But there, there's four stud quarterbacks in the NFL. Yeah. That, that, that's it. <laughs> right. I mean, there's four or five. Like, you, you, you got to talk more than that. Like, there, there's got to be something more to it than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like, I, like I've always said when it comes to, to PFF, context matters. And a lot of time, context is absent. Yeah. And I don't understand why. Because I think the articles would sell a lot better if there's context. They would get a lot less criticism uh, overall, if they just provided the context necessary to make the stuff that they put out there publicly that everyone can see, if they just yeah. make that make sense. Well, and like, who is reading PFF, honestly? It's people that are really into football. Like, you're not reading PFF as like a casual fan. You're not. I'm sorry. Like, casual fans don't read PFF. No. Um, so, like, to me, it wouldn't actually hurt them to include that context. Like, they did on the podcast today. Like, to credit them, like, they did put context of this list on the podcast today. But, like, just put that in the article. Yeah, or the graphic. The, just the, yeah. the one graphic that gets posted. Yeah. Just, like, it, it's fine. Like, you're, you're, the fans that read your site are not going to turn away because you have context. Like, they're not. Like, you have readers for a reason. And mm-hmm. it's that, like, regardless if people agree or disagree with you, you're provocative enough with enough information that it starts a discussion. Mm-hmm. So you can put context there. Like, it's fine. It's not going to ruin your brand. Yeah. It, it's just part of, the, part of the package that is frustrating with, with PFF. But uh, before we go on to another PFF topic, uh, everybody strap in for that. Uh, one last coach that we didn't touch on yet, John Gruden. And uh, let me say, I had the most fun typing up this paragraph in my in my piece talking about John Gruden. Um, he's someone... Oakland Raiders owner, John Gruden, <laughs> by the way. Get, get it right. Oh, man. I'll just, I'll, I'll read the, the my favorite sequence here. Uh, Gruden is a coach who has a strong affinity for what he doesn't have on his roster and grows tired of what he actually has. Gruden is a guy who is in a casino playing a slot machine who loses $20 pretty quickly and sees someone else win big on a different machine. Thinking he can duplicate that success, he moves to that machine only to lose more money even though he made the change he desperately wanted to. That is the John yeah. Gruden experience, by the way. Yeah, I think that's perfect. I know, I think that's perfect. That's exactly what he is. And, like, I'm not saying John Gruden's a bad offensive coordinator. I thought when they played the Browns, John Gruden, John Gruden outcoached Kevin Stefanski. Yeah, he did. He had a he had he had a great game. A yeah, great but game. like I, I mean, I I just don't. And again, on the podcast, they provide context, which mm-hmm. is like they rank Oakland as having very little talent on offense beyond a tight end and a good running back. But again, fair. I pretty much agree with that. 
but that like it's a, you're not it's apples and oranges yeah. right like you can't compare that then to Matt Lafleur right or to even to Kevin Stefanski like mm-hmm. it's not a fair comparison no, and, and it's, it's not, not an accurate it shouldn't be the same list uh, to me like it just it shouldn't be the same list no it it really shouldn't I I mean. In watching the the Raiders' offense, it's it's puzzling sometimes because Gruden makes a lot of questionable decisions in the way he handles things. Occasionally, he has a good game, like he did against the Browns. But I'm surprised he didn't get dinged for that game uh, by the way he handled Raider, his offense. Gruden's first and third quarters, where they're scripted drives, mm-hmm. are some of the best in the NFL. Like those first, like first fifteen drives, or like first drive in the first half, first drive in the second half, Mm -hmm. depending on the game. Like, those are beyond perfect for John Gruden. The problem is everything else. Pretty much. It it just, it doesn't seem to have quite the grasp of on, uh, of how the NFL works today compared to when he coached previously. That long layoff, I think, he hasn't quite caught up back to yet, uh, considering that their offense just really isn't that good. Yeah, I, I mean, John Gruden to me is like uh, Jose Mourinho in the Premier League. <laughs> now, I guess since here, like, and it could be like, I think John Gruden at one point was probably the best offensive play caller alive. Um, and, and I think Jose Mourinho, was, but but it's for the same reason, right? They're really good at predicting what their opponent's going to do. And eventually, teams figure that out, and if the coach doesn't stay up to date, that skill is not useful anymore. Mm-hmm. And to me, that is what's happened to John Gruden. Like, his skill's just not that useful anymore. Because he can't, like, he doesn't figure... He can predict what another team's going to do. He can't predict how another team's going to win. Is the way I would put it. That's a great way to put it. It really is. And let's move on to our next pro football focus-related topic, or focus topic. Top pass-catching duos in the NFL. They came out with this list today. So this is some fresh content for everyone here. Uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry are seventh, which I'm not necessarily mad at that placement overall. However, it's there are two entries on this list that I disagree with. That would be Julio Jones and A.J. Brown at number two, and Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts at number nine. The fact that that duo is even on the list is astounding to me, because Calvin Ridley's he's fine, and Kyle Pitts hasn't played a snap in the NFL yet. And as far as Julio Jones and A.J. Brown are concerned, we don't know how that dynamic's going to work. Well, and number three, Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson had a great rookie year. Adam Thielen is consistent. I mean, Adam yeah. Thielen, to me, like, not dissimilar to Jarvis, and that you know what you're getting from them every game of every year. Yeah. They don't have bad games. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, Justin Jefferson was a rookie, man. Like, teams are going to scheme him out next year. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to appearing on the list, but three just seems high. Yeah, like it, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, four is probably low to me. I mean, I know that they have Tom too. Brady, which, yeah, I mean, to me, like, I, I just, I, that duo has been great without Tom Brady. They're mm-hmm. the, some of the best in the world with Tom Brady. Like, I, I, I can't understand having Thielen and Jefferson or Julio Jones and Brown ranked above them. And again, like, this list to me, more than the offensive play caller list, is like opinion based like it's kind of yeah. like who would you rather have and that's that's fine and i think they couch it that way unlike they did unlike with the coaching thing which is fine but like dk metcalf tyler lockett at six like i don't know i i i 
this is the LaFleur problem for me, mm-hmm. right? They have Russell Wilson throwing them the ball. Yes. And we have not seen DK Metcalf or Tyler Lockett without Russell Wilson. No, we haven't. And I just, like, if you're asking me just, like, just if I just watch them for a game, nothing else. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other receivers I'd rather have, and it's not that they're bad. They probably do a lot of little things that I don't notice. But again, six, like, to me, it just... Like, Diggs, Beasley at five, that's fine. Uh, Beckham and Landry at seven, it's fine. I mean, I could see ranking them lower. I could see ranking them higher. Um, I I mean, I, I they, PFF is weirdly high on Jarvis Landry, which, trust me, I'm not complaining about. But, like, again, just as when I think of duo, I think of players that have played together that have chemistry that mm-hmm. bends defenses because of that chemistry. Yes. Like Amari Cooper, CD Lamb with the Cowboys, I'm sorry. Like, that is, we haven't seen that. To get, like, they were not great together last year. No, they, they, they really weren't. And, I mean, if, if it was me putting together this list, uh, I would probably take three, four, and five, all of them, move them up one spot, take the Julio Jones, AJ Brown, put them at five, just because we haven't seen them play together yep. yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd probably leave six and seven only because where they're at. Only because DK Metcalf is a physical freak, and you'll never find a receiver better at running at a straight line than he is. Okay, that's what he is. Yeah. Tyler Lockett's yeah. proven to be a pretty consistent and good receiver. As for for Beckham and Landry, we. We don't really know what their dynamic is. And I, I wrote something and posted about it today. And it's... And the reason why I'm fine with them at seven is that for the two seasons that we've had them in Cleveland, only a year and a half of them actually playing together. But they had a, their first year was under Freddie Kitchens. Then they were hurt that entire year. Then Beckham got hurt for the second half of the second year. Their offensive style is not necessarily friendly to the passing game. And with Baker Mayfield being what Baker Mayfield is, those numbers aren't that you expect from them or what we thought we were going to get are not even close to what actually happened. So the fact that they're at seven, yeah. I'm fine with. Yeah, that's fair. I, I don't have an issue with them at seven. I The funny thing is, like, once you hit eight, nine, and ten, like, I, I would rank Kittle and Samuel. I'd put them honestly, eight. I may rank them. Above, I, I, I may have them above Jarvis and Odell, to be that's honest fair. with you. Just, like, ju- just because, like, Kittle is such a fit like it Kittle's a physical freak and does it with crappy quarterback and Debo Samuel is just very difficult to track when he's on on the field because mm-hmm. he can do so many different things but like it, I, although at that point like all of a sudden why is like McCaffrey um and uh although I guess they got rid of what's his face uh this summer but they still have like good like I, I, I don't know I, I like Kittle Samuel I love Woods and Cup I don't know how Woods and Cup aren't in the top 10 I, I don't know how they're I mean, like, they, they should swap out Ridley and Pitts for Woods and Cup. Yeah, like Woods or, and Cup should be there. Or McCaffrey uh, and uh, Robbie Anderson. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, McCaffrey, Robbie Anderson, exactly. Like, that to me is another... Right, it just like... Again, this one list I don't have as much of a problem with. Because yes, it's not... To me, it's not saying what they're saying with the other list. Like, the other list like... Hey, we did some scientific studies, and this these are the five best offense play callers. Whereas, like this list is just like, hey, here's our opinion, man. Yeah, I, this, um, they're they're not trying to, at least not that I'm aware of. It doesn't sound like they're trying to be like, 
hey, these guys do what we like the most, so here's what we're going to say that they're the best at because it fits our formula, which, right. uh, as I stated in my other car, uh, article, uh, referred to as remedial analytics. Because um, mm-hmm. it is. It, it really is. It let's, is. Let's be it honest is. here. It it's analytics for dummies. Uh, I think you referred to it as box score analytics once. Yeah, I mean, I listen, if I, one of my students, um, so like I also teach a stats class every once in a while, if one of my students handed in something like this for a final paper, mm-hmm. I'd give it an A, like, I, like with the math in the background, right? Not yeah. just like a list, but like actually, I'd give it an A, like it's for an undergrad level paper, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, I Just like when we're talking about like an organization that says like they do a professional job mm-hmm. of and I'm not saying everybody at PFF doesn't, because I think there are a lot of people that write fewer articles at PFF that do. But like yeah. this stuff, like this, like like to me, it just, it's not. It's box square analytics, right? It's like mm-hmm. undergrad level, like very good for an undergrad level, but like not for somebody that like you're that that tells you like we have PhDs or masters in this stuff, degrees in this stuff, and like you should trust us because we're the experts. Like it just, it's not there. It's not at that level. And when you advertise it as such, it leads to bias. It, it really does. That's why I, I prefer going through so many other different um, places for advanced numbers, uh, whether that's Warren Sharp at Sharp Football. Every once in a while, I'll take a, a, a look at Football Outsiders. They provide some good information. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's that next level that PFF doesn't give you. Well, and like Warren Sharp and football outside, and I know PFF says like they're hired by a lot of teams. I, I, I have talked and like you and I have talked about this like behind the scenes, but like there, are, my understanding is that a lot of teams do like PFF's like very advanced tracking numbers that like we don't have access to, mm-hmm. which is great. But like that doesn't mean that teams are like listening to PFF advising them. I'm not saying they're not. I just haven't heard that that's how it works. Mm-hmm. Whereas with like Sharp and football outsiders, that's exactly what I've heard is that like teams will bring them in to advise them on things. Yeah. Not necessarily like what well, place call who to start, but like, hey, here's the situation your franchise is in. Mm-hmm. Uh, advising. Um, and PFF doesn't do that. PFF is much more geared towards, not like you and me specifically, but people like you and me, right? That like yeah. podcasts, like do a lot of stuff with sports, but are like, we're not running the team. Yeah, and exactly. PFF markets too. And it's, just, it, it, it's a little frustrating when something like this comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty much. And, and and speaking of that, that's the perfect, perfect transition to our final topic today, and that'd be Andrew Barry on the Athletic Football Show. What were your impressions from his appearance? I mean, so, like, let me start by saying I think the Athletic Football Show is, like, straight up the best football podcast around. I think um, Robert Mays does a great job. I, that's who does Yeah, I think it's Robert yeah, it's Mays. Robert um, Mays. Nate Tyson. Yeah, Nate Tyson. He's on his screen. So I love him. I thought it was a great interview. I, to me, it, I, and I, I had texted this to you. Uh-huh. I feel like Andrew Barry has matured over the past year. Yes. And not like, like he's always seemed like a very mature adult, but like, I just mean like he has evolved as a GM uh-huh. um, in ways that like we didn't hear as much last year. And he was very honest on the podcast outside of one time. He answered every question Mays asked. And I think a fairly detailed manner, but like, he makes this joke, right? Like he refers to the joke where like after they draft, uh, by the way, I don't know if you heard they drafted JOK. Uh, after they drafted <laughs> JOK, he went up on the podium and said, 
yeah, I know. Everybody get ready. Like, I drafted a linebacker. Mm-hmm. And then he talks about that. And he was like, listen, like, just because we don't think linebacker is the most important position in the NFL doesn't mean, like, linebackers aren't valuable or there are not times where a linebacker is by far the most valuable person you can put on the roster. Mm-hmm. Right? And to me, that there was, like, a sense of maturity. And, like, Mays asked him about, like, Stefanski, who runs the ball a lot. And Barry's response again was like, listen, we're really good at running the ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, yes, analytics are important, but like they're a piece of the pie. They're not the pie. Yes. Um, right. And I don't remember what exactly you used, but like the analogy very, is very similar to the idea. Like they're like the base of the pie or the jelly in the pie. Pick your reference. Like they're part of the pie. Mm-hmm. They're not the whole thing. And it's important to listen to them. Because you want to consider as much information as possible. But what really impressed me is Barry said, like, I rely on other people to tell me, like, how much should we be listening to this? Mm-hmm. And to me, that showed a lot of maturity. It, it really did. And honestly, what that it, it painted a, a much different picture of Andrew Barry than uh, a lot of people attempt to do. Uh, they they put him in this box. They have all these very rigid ideas of this is the only things he's going to do because of this. And more often than not, it's pointing to those ridiculous guardrails that still exist on the internet for some reason. Which he clearly doesn't listen to, by oh. the way. Like if, <laughs> like, like if you need to, if, if the draft didn't prove it to you and the free agency didn't prove it to you, this interview will definitely prove it to you. He doesn't give a rat's tail about the guardrails. Yeah. I, I don't think he, uh, cares about that document if someone tried to bring up that document to him he'd be like what are you talking about um <laughs> right. uh, you know contrary to um the long diatribes uh, that appear on twitter every once in a while about the the guardrails and their decisions and how they may or may not be doing things a certain way no stop looking at the ridiculous document delete all versions of it that you have saved in your phone or on your computer they're not using it and that's right. what I that's what I really took away from Andrew Barry's uh, interview there, is that yeah, it, he's much more flexible with yeah. the way he does things than he's portrayed by certain groups of Browns media, pseudo media, yeah fans. Well, and like I mean, you watch Building the Browns. We all watch Building the Browns. They clearly have a very advanced analytics team. And like this was a debate after the play calling list that happened on Twitter that you and I were talking about, which is that like if Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry, who are like arguably the most advanced analytics team in the NFL in terms of like the surrounding environment they operate in, mm-hmm. are running the ball a lot and a lot on first down and like doing it this certain way and like winning coach of the year. There's probably a reason for that, that uh, depending on like how you're using the data and like how like accurate and how context inclusive that data is suggests that's the right decision. Uh, And I think that's what they're doing. Like, I think your word context, I think to, to me, Andrew Barry is a football guy. Kevin Stansky is a football guy that do the opposite of PFF. Uh, well, not do the opposite of like smart football Twitter, I guess, which is analytics are context to this. Yes. Uh, they're not, they're not the meat and it's not that they're not important. 
they I think the Browns have contacts that a lot of other teams just don't have because of that. Mm-hmm. But but it's they're football guys, right? Like they are football guys. Like I, I know they went to Ivy League schools and are really intelligent. I'm not doubting that, but they're football guys. Yeah. They're very intelligent football guys. And to me, they, they just really reference and like and so you and I have talked about this. I think it is Andrew Barry is not much older than we are. Mm-hmm. Um, he is going to improve. He is young. He is going to improve. And I think we have seen the serious improvement this year. I think the draft showed it. I think free agency showed it. And I think this interview showed it. Mm-hmm. He has evolved. He has matured at what he thinks matters. And I'm glad you said that word evolve because I was going to touch on one specific aspect of that interview. And that was with the offense. He mentioned the need to evolve the offense for what they're running. Yes, yes. And... I agree with evolving the offense. It's about growing what you're doing, right. which is basically the complete opposite of the overhaul that has been suggested uh, on the internet that they should change right. everything that they're doing. He understands what he's doing. It's evolving what they're already doing. You're you're taking what is basically, let's just say, a, a main part of a tree, right? Just the main the not the not the base of the tree but just the main part of it and growing branches off into it and those branches have smaller ones coming off of it so things look very similar things look very alike but it's just that little that little change right at the end that makes it a different play and i think that's very key for what they're going to do and by with how stefanski runs his offense that seems more likely to happen than a pass heavy run less offense that is desired by certain yeah, sections I mean, like, of people. I, I think Anthony Schwartz comes in and runs straight down the field five times a game, six times a game. Yeah. Is a decoy. Yeah. And then once, twice a game is the main target, whatever. But but like that's evolving, right? That mm-hmm. is using a, something you didn't have last year in a limited capacity to change looks you can give defenses. Yes. Right? I, I think they're going to do... I, I think the run game is going to evolve. Period. Like I, I think... They will now have trust in Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt to do different things at different times to be more creative with their movement. Maybe like we haven't saw towards the end of the year. Remember, Nick Chubb started being used as a receiver a lot more. Mm-hmm. Like, I think these are the things we're going to start seeing. Uh, but it's not going to be overhauls. I think if you would look at both the personnel counts for this coming year and the like run versus pass percentages, my guess is they're eerily similar to this past year. It just the plays themselves are a little bit different. Yeah, it's not like they they made massive additions on the offensive side of the ball like they did on defense. So they're running right. essentially the same group of starters back. They pretty right. much are. They are. It, it, yeah, it, it's are. it's once you get past the second receiver, once you get past Jarvis and OBJ, it's how the third, fourth receiver, all that stuff shakes out. It's probably going to be some mix of Higgins and Schwartz, but I imagine Kadero Hodge and Donovan Peoples Jones gets some mix. Get some run in there as well. But, you know, I, I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to keep pounding the table on this. Anthony Schwartz says the guy running the end rounds just has per- perfect match written all over it. Yeah. No, I mean, that, like, do I think Anthony Schwartz is going to be a good receiver in his first year? Absolutely not. I think he's going to be terrible as a receiver. But I think he doesn't need to be good, right? No, he doesn't. He needs to do certain things that he can do already, right? It's like LaVisca Chenault last year, who was a good receiver, to be fair. But, like, 
you, the Jaguars drafted LaVisca Chenault knowing in year one there were certain things he was going to be able to do that no matter how good he was as a receiver, how durable he could be, it was going to work. And I think Schwartz is not as good as Chenault, but like a very similar type of idea, right? Like mm-hmm. he's going to run end rounds. He's going to run uh, – he's going to be a burner on a lot of plays. And, and that's like – it's great. I, I think – there's a reason he did not say the same thing for the defense, right? Like mm-hmm. the defense is an overhaul. Uh, they can say whatever they want. Yeah. It's been, it's a complete overhaul. Um, and that to me actually explained the Clowney decision a little bit more, mm-hmm. which is, I think they basically want to do something very, very different than what they did last year. Maybe in the same scheme, which I have my issues with, but whatever, but it, it's going to be very different defense outside of that mm-hmm. um but it, it's an evolved offense i think you're right i think barry is honest i listen this could be a year where they tell baker hey we're gonna give you more to start the year you have more license to call plays Let's see what happens mm-hmm. like they could do that as a way to see like is baker the guy yeah i could see them doing that and, and you know in, in games where you know they, they open up in kansas city and Right, not in Kansas City. But, like, there's a few easy games to start after that. So, pulling up the Browns' schedule. They start I mean, at the Kansas Bears. City, but we got Houston, Chicago, yeah. Minnesota. That three-game stretch with, I think, the Houston-Chicago, those two back-to-back ones, they're both at home. I think yep. that is the time to to give them that chance before heading out right, on the road. Right, exactly. Right, exactly. Like, let's just see how this works, right? Like, let's see what it looks like. I I don't know, man. Like, I, I think that that's where you let Baker maybe be a little bit more adventurous. Or even if it's not calling plays, like, you put – you make the – you run more difficult plays for Baker. Mm-hmm. That Baker needs to be better to run. And I think that's great. I think that's what the plan is. It sounds like from listening to Andrew Barry – that's what the plan is. Mm-hmm. It does not sound we're going all in speed or like Jarvis is ready to go on his way out. Like if anything, after listening to that, if I'm Jarvis, I'm pretty comfortable with being at Brown. I'm less so if I'm Odell Beckham. Yeah. That, that seems to be what I take away from that for the, you know, <laughs> is that it, it seems like Jarvis's spot on the roster seems pretty, solid for the long term with with Odell Beckham that's a that's a different story that's a much longer story for a different day <laughs> yeah I mean like one of the things he said on the podcast that I thought was just great was this like he said like you know Robert I it, it's very easy from the outside looking in to be like oh these are the rules they operate by mm-hmm. but he's like we don't op- we don't have rules we operate by we don't even really have guidelines. Like, we as a as a as a staff have some things we believe in. Like for the roster we have, it will work better than others, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, like it's very clear. Like, I think wide zone running for this roster, they believe like the offense needs to be built around that. Um, I think it's very clear that they don't necessarily value certain traits in linebackers. Uh, even with JOK, who may possess those traits, but that you don't draft them more even in the second round because of those traits, right? Like, I think they value versatility more than a lot of teams. 
but like there's no rules right which i like and that's mm-hmm. what feels different like it's the, there's no more rules there there's guide there's not even guidelines there's like there's a vision yes and how they get that vision depends they don't know but they'll get there i, I have faith i have more faith in us this upcoming season after listening to that podcast than i did before yeah same i i, I really do I have, I have a lot more confidence in what they're doing even though i don't always agree with everything that they do i have a lot more confidence in the their approach in the way that they're yeah, doing the process things. feels good it, it feels much feels better good. and you know again the fact that guardrails doesn't appear to be a thing just makes me all the much happier <laughs> i totally agree i totally agree it's just we can be done with that conversation uh, yeah it, it just it, it, I, we've kicked that dead horse many times uh, that com- i mean people just need to stop pretending like it's a thing they really need well, to my favorite is like after that interview some of the traditional the, the expected faces on brown's twitter were like <laughs> Oh, like, you know, like, you know, Andrew Barry's just, it's football speak. Like they, they still, they, this stuff is still important. Look at how they, what they've done on the roster. And it's like, I don't know if you listen to the same interview I just did because like, I mean, nothing Andrew Barry said was football speak. No, it wasn't. Like, he, he was weirdly honest, like, like weirdly honest. Yeah. That's, he was much more open and much more honest than I expected him to be. Yeah, unlike another Cavs GM, or sorry, another <laughs> Cleveland GM. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, let's let's finish up with this one last thing. I'm gonna spring this on you. Did you see the teaser video with Peyton Hillis for the upcoming Madden NFL 22 game? Yes. yes. <laughs> I like how they they brought him out of nowhere, out of the shadows, to be like, "Hey, remember Peyton Hillis?" <laughs> <laughs> That was, like, I remember watching that year thinking, like, I don't know how this is happening, but he was just incredible. That was my first year in college, first year away from home, I think. Um, and I just remember being like, this dude is incredible. Like, where this guy was barely playing last year. Like, where, how did they find – and then it's like, oh, no, he just sucks. Like, <laughs> they just got lucky. The, the, like, the luck's a thing, and they got lucky. One-year wonder thing, but uh, – Yeah. You know <clears> – <throat> Uh, any guesses on Ruben Drones? Uh, Ruben Drones. <laughs> any guesses on the Madden cover athletes for you? Um, the assumption I that mean, th- is that there's going to be two because they had two goats in the commercial. Well, I thought it was Rogers was supposed to be one, right? I have no idea. Yeah, I thought Rod like the rumor I read is like Rogers was supposed to be one, and now it's like, oh well, he may retire. So, um. <laughs> You may want to find somebody else. That was my understanding. I could be wrong. I think I don't know who's going to be honest. This is just me guessing, and uh, again, plugging my stuff again. It's on my website. This is believeone.com. But my uh, my guess was because there were two goats. One was much larger than the other one. It's signifying an already established goat with one who's rising towards legendary status. And based off of the last time they had a dual cover, it was last year, the previous year's Super Bowl players. Right. I think it's going to be Brady and Mahomes. Yeah, that would make sense, actually. That would be good. I would be good with that. I, Yeah, I would, I would totally be good with that, Brady and Mahomes. That and and that, seems... would be, that would be both their second appearance on the cover. Yeah, it would be perfect. And, like, I know I, I was having this conversation with one of my friends that was this idea that like, Hey, we don't know. Mahomes may get hurt like, and mm-hmm. never be the same. Like, true. 
true. Given the information we have available to us, I think Mahomes is the guy around the NFL that will be, again, all staying healthy, that, that will be like Tom Brady of this next generation. But yeah. he has all the talent in the world. He has a great coach. He is very, like, clearly very intelligent. I think he will age very well um, because of that. So, yeah, I, I mean, I'd be great with that. I, I know it's not popular to say, like, I love watching Mahomes. I love watching Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. I like watching greatness, period. I don't care who it is. I, I enjoy it. And I if the Browns aren't in it, I like to see greatness win. I'm just like, oh, we like to see the underdog. Like, eh, no, no. Like, sorry, when uh, Brady was facing the Rams a few years ago, mm-hmm. I was rooting for Tom Brady. Yeah, uh, same. Because, like, to me, like, I was rooting for Tom Brady. Uh, a year later, I was rooting for a good game, which is what I got. Because, like, I love Kyle Shanahan, mm-hmm. and I love Andy Reid and Pat Mahomes, and I got it. Like, this past year, I didn't care who won. I didn't yeah. care. Because it was like, just, like, two great quarterbacks with two great coaches. Mm-hmm. Um I just want greatness, man. I just want greatness to win. So I'd be great with a Brady Mahomes cover. Yeah, that that'd be what I'm pretty much would be. That's that's what I think it's gonna be. I don't know if it's gonna happen, but that'd be pretty cool. Um, I think that's just about it for us here on this episode of the This Is Believe One podcast. Uh, remember to subscribe, like, rate five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. And these will be appearing on a YouTube page as well as audio only. So when that gets up and running, I will post that as well. Uh, anything else you want to finish up with, Jordan? No, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, read James's article on uh, uh, about the offensive play call. It was really good. I tweeted it out. Yeah, check it out. Uh, I'll retweet that again here. But you know what? Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.